0: I would like you uh, to turn with me, please, to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Now, this is what I'm calling the fourth part, and probably the last part, unless God tells me to keep going. But I, I'm, I'm, I think I've said, I think I've preached and proclaimed and, and taught what God wanted me to in this season about the anointing to prosper. And so we started that back Monday, uh, a, week, a couple weeks ago, Monday, and then I think it was last Monday, and then and then last Friday, and then was part two, and then a couple of days ago Wednesday, I wasn't planning on it, but the anointing came on me and changed my message, and I did part three of the anointing to prosper, and then this is part four tonight, and uh, it's important, and I'm going to share some thoughts with you as to why it's so important, um, and so let's just, uh, let's just turn there to first, uh, what did I say, First Timothy chapter 6. Now, um, before we read together, just just look at me. You don't have to read, Just we'll get to that in a second. Um, there is a, and I won't, get, I won't repeat the whole long story because I shared this last Friday. A week ago, I shared a little bit more in detail. Um, about how I was driving in the car, listening to a radio broadcast. A, a couple was on there, sweet, wonderful couple. You can just tell they just love God with all their heart. Honorable people, been in the ministry a long time. I have respect for them and I don't know them. I don't follow their ministry, but I can just tell that they're good people and they're honorable people. And, and, and so I was really hoping to hear something to strengthen and encourage me. I don't necessarily listen to the radio other than because there's not a whole lot that feeds me out there uh, in terms of, you know, our Canadian broadcast and so uh, my my feeders are, are Pastor Nancy and others, so I'm very careful who I listen to, but the Lord prompted me, turn on the radio and listen. So I expected, I thought he was having me listen to learn something, that maybe something would encourage me or strengthen me. So I was kind of inclining my ear. I was anticipating hearing something to to, to make me go, amen, praise God. And and, and and it was the opposite. The reason he had me listen, the reason he told me to listen, and I don't listen unless he tells me to, but the reason he told me to listen is because he wanted me to hear what this sweet, precious couple, good people, lovely people, what they were saying and how off doctrinally they were. And uh, and then when I said, Lord, you know, uh, I was talking to him as they were teaching and preaching, I was kind of musing and, and, and fellowshipping with the Lord and talking to Him, and, and at one point I said, you know, Lord, because they were going on about how, you know, it, it's, it's oh, people want more, and they want things, and they want material things, and they want, you know, a new, a, a new car, or they want a new dress, or they want this and that, and how, you know, how basically they had to learn to get over that. They had to learn to slay that dragon. Uh, because they were trying to teach that to desire nice things in this life is is a lack of contentment. They were trying to equate it to a verse in First Timothy 6, where it says, a Godliness with contentment is great gain. They were using that scripture, and they were using it incorrectly. They were using it unskillfully and they were trying to say that if you desire nice things in life, if you want extra in life, that you are not being content, that you are discontented and that that's sin. And that they had to slay the dragon of discontentment in their life and how they wanted so much for their children and new clothes and they wanted a, a new camera and they wanted this and they wanted a, a, a new sink for the thing and how they didn't have enough money because they were poor and they were in the ministry. And many ministers are unfortunately poor. And how they, they longed and they yearned for it. And they saw all the other people, many people in their church that were wealthy. And, 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 and they saw these things and they longed for it. And then finally they had a revelation And the revelation was that it wasn't the will of God for them to want nice things, that that was discontentment and that what they needed to do was to be happy with what they had, to just be content and to be godly. And that would be great gain and to give up the dream of living a good life. And they were preaching that pretty strong. And yet they're sweet, wonderful people. And I listened thinking God was having me listen to encourage me, but really he was having me listen to remind me of the false doctrine that is, per, that is permeated and that is a part of so many people's lives and belief system. And yet these aren't evil people. And this is, this is, the, this is the danger of it. They're nice, godly, sweet, good meaning, faithful, love God with all their heart kind of people. And yet you can be that kind of a Christian and still completely miss it when it comes to certain doctrines that God wants you to understand. You can love God and totally miss it when it comes to healing and then die of sickness. You can love God with all your heart, be willing to die for him and totally miss it when it comes to the, the, the doctrine of prosperity and live your whole life having less than enough, thinking that you're being spiritual and you're going to get to heaven one day and God's going to look at you and say, I had no problem with you being rich. The problem, is I didn't want you to be covetous, greedy and money minded, but I had no problem with you having your needs met. I have no problem with you having nice, nice things because the, the thing doesn't have you. I have you. I have your heart. The thing is just a tool that, that you said to, to make your life easier and better. And I had no problem with you, but you lived this whole, your whole life on the earth under a delusion because you got some false teaching from somewhere, and you, and you bought it hook, line, and sinker, and you, you had a lot harder time than you needed to have. And I'm telling you, when those people get to heaven, they're going to hear that. And, and they're going to probably think, oh my God, are you kidding me? All those years, I, it, it was as easy as the prayer of faith. Oh my, are you kidding me? It was as easy as Mark eleven twenty four, 24, the prayer of faith. I could have just, I could have read one book by Kenneth Hagin or many other authors these days that have this revelation. And I could have just prayed a prayer of faith and you would have blessed me. I could have claimed what I wanted, claimed what I needed, claimed what I desired, and you would have given it to me. I took my whole life living with the less and, and, and living underneath the barrel and at the bottom of the barrel and scraping the bottom of the barrel. And I didn't need to. I'm telling you, they're, they're, I, I'm telling you, my brother and sister, people, many people are going to get to heaven and just be, uh, just be, my, like my wife says, gobsmacked, just be flabbergasted, just be, uh, be without words that, that they lived their whole life in a false Understanding of God's nature when it comes to prosperity, and simply because they didn't read their Bible under revelation, they can read their Bible with their mind. But when you, but it's more than just mental assent or mental understanding. You must have the Holy Spirit reveal the Scripture to you. Mind is just reading the Logos, what's written. But when He reveals it to you, there's a Rhema, there's a revelation that comes. And when that comes, the devil can't steal it. they'll try to steal it, but you can protect that revelation. And the devil can't steal it and people can't steal it. And no matter how much you're persecuted because of it, that you will stand on that till the day you die because it's real to you. And, and I said, Lord, as I was musing, I said, Father, I guess they just, I feel so bad for them. I guess they just don't have revelation. I guess they just don't know what we know. Thank God that we've been taught what we know. Thank God. I mean, I just started praising him out of gratitude that I have not grown up and, and lived all my life up until now with that kind of false doctrine, because it would have robbed me of, ha- of having the kind of life God wanted me to have, both materially, prosperity-wise, and, and health-wise, and protection-wise, and a lot of other wise as well a lot of other areas as well. And I was just thanking, thank God, Lord, that that I've got revelation. I guess they just don't have revelation. And that's why they don't see this. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me because I was saying, Lord, I guess they just as mental, they don't have revelation. And that's the difference between them and me. And he spoke to me and he spoke to me firmly and he spoke to me aggressively. And he, and he basically said it kind of loud. And he said, it's not just that they don't have revelation. It is that and that they're in their mind. But he said, it's not just that. It's that there is a demon spirit and he that's what he said to me, and I've heard Dad Hagen say this, and I've heard Randy Greer say this, and Pastor Nancy, Dr. Dufresne would say this a lot, so I know I'm not the first one saying this. As uh, the, the generals have gone before that we re- trust and respect taught us this, but I heard God say it to me. He said, there's a demon spirit that has clouded them. There's a, they are seeing my holy word through the influence of a religious spirit. And that religious spirit is affecting how they interpret the scriptures and how they interpret the scriptures determines what they get out of the scriptures and he said to me yes you have revelation and they don't have revelation meaning from the holy ghost but but the way he said it to me was he said they do have revelation but it's dark revelation meaning the devil demon spirits can actually give people demonic revelation of the scriptures did you even know that's possible People that say uh, my grace is sufficient for you and they, and they interpret that to be just whine and be pathetic and just lie down and fail and quit. And, and you, know, you know, my grace is there for you just to suffer and I'm just going to help you suffer and everything is just about suffering and you're just going to have to put up with this and I'm going to help you basically suffer. That's a demonic interpretation of that verse because what the Bible is really talking about is he's asking God three times why this messenger from Satan, we know it's a demon because the Bible tells us that. It's not a sickness. It's a messenger. It's a demon. The Bible tells us what it is. And he is asking God what to do with it. Just like we say, God, I'm under torment. I'm under harassment. Please help me. And God can't deal with the devil on your behalf. Jesus defeated him and has given you keys and he's told you to deal with it and you to bind and loose. That's why Jesus told Brother Hagan in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, when he appeared to him for an hour and 45 minutes, and he told him and proved Him fro- proved it from, the scripture with more scriptures than even Kenneth Hagin asked for, that there's not one place in the New Testament where God will deal with the devil for you. You are told to deal with the devil yourself. So Paul was still technically in the New Testament, even though most of it hadn't even been written yet. He was asking God to deal with the messenger from Satan for him. That's why he said, thrice I asked the Lord to deal with this and help me. And what did God answer? God was answering the same way to him like Dad Hagin told, told uh, like Jesus told Dad Hagin in the vision and broken bow. I can't do it for you. I've given you the authority you deal with it that's what god was telling paul my power my anointing my grace my dominion is sufficient for this devil deal with it that's what he was saying now there's strength to that and revelation knowledge but the devil can so pervert and twist that and religious people can see that scripture through a demonic lens influenced by a religious spirit and and they can actually have a revelation opposite to what the Holy Ghost is saying and then turn that scripture on its head and make it the opposite of what the Holy Ghost was saying and instead of it being a strong verse of victory because this is the victory that overcomes the world our faith instead of it being a strong faith victory verse it becomes a weak pathetic while you suffer I'll help you kind of verse that's not just mental. That is a demonic revelation. That is how demons want humans to interpret the glory of that verse. And demons have also tried to persuade and influence and put a filter and a guise and a sheen over religious people's minds so that they would interpret First Timothy chapter 6 in the opposite way to what God intended it and it's the same thing. It's a verse It's a verse of power. It's a verse of liberty and freedom, yet the, under that demonic revelation, that demonic influence, they will have a totally false and opposite interpretation and revelation of the scripture because it doesn't come from the Holy Ghost. It comes from a religious spirit. So God was teaching me as I was driving. He was teaching me I was thinking it was just they don't have revelation they haven't been taught, but he was reminding me what my fathers have taught me, which sometimes we forget that it's more than just a lack of revelation from the Holy Ghost. It's actually a demon spirit that is affecting them. Praise God. And so that shook me a little bit. And then I heard him say, I want you to teach to the people. I want you to talk to your people about this. Why does God want us to know this, my brother and sister? Because let me say this to you. You know, before Oral Roberts in the 50s coined the phrase, God is good, that it had never been said in in Christendom at large before. Did you know that? in churches across America and across the world. There was absolutely no revelation whatsoever about the, the concept that God is a good God. And not only, and because people didn't understand that, they didn't see God that way. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't respond to him because they didn't see him like that. They didn't respond to him like that. Nobody ever said God is good because nobody believed God was good. What they saw was God was aggressive and God was a judge and God was tough and God was this and God was that. And, 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 but they didn't see him like he was good. And Oral Roberts, you can you can research it if you don't believe me, but Oral Roberts was the first minister in modern the modern church age that began to say in the 1950s in his healing crusades, he did it at the same time of Jack Cohen, A.L. and all the others. He was the first minister ever to start to say publicly on television, on radio, and to mass crusades, God is a good God. Now, that was such a foreign idea in the 50s, he was persecuted to no end. Now, his contemporary, at the same time that he was ministering, and, and all the way through the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, but he was obviously much older than and, 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 and into, into 2000s. But his contemporary in the hu- in the height of his ministry, there were many ministers that were big ministers. All Roberts was one of them. A lot of those healing evangelists died young because they got over into error or into sin. R. Roberts was actually the only one that lasted and lived. Uh, he outlived all of them because he obeyed God and, and, he, star- and he and he and st- he stayed with the Word and he stayed with doctrine. But back then, of course, there's the great uh, the great uh, um, the names just gone from me. Taylor, what's the the most famous minister in the world? Um, The guy that does the shoeboxes, his dad. Billy Graham. I don't know why his name left me like that. Like a little bird flew away. Billy Graham was also ministering in the fifties and, and even before that and the sixties and the seventies and Billy Graham was mammoth, huge, a huge name around the world, huge name in America. Oral Roberts was equally as well known in America as Billy Graham was. And I've researched this and I've studied history and I'm, I'm tell you can take what I'm saying to the bank. The funny thing is everybody loved Billy Graham and everybody hated Oral Roberts. You study it. You study it for yourself. You'll see what I'm saying is true. In general, even secular people had respect for Billy Graham. Government heads had respect for Billy Graham. Presidents had respect for Billy Graham. Church leaders in all denominations had respect for Billy Graham. But when it came to R. Roberts, he was the most hated minister in America for decades and i'm not saying anything obviously against billy graham he was one of the titans of 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 the of the protestant movement of the evangelical movement, and he got more people saved than I probably ever will in two lifetimes. So I, I've got nothing but respect for that wonderful man. I'm not, I'm not making comments as to why people seem to like him and not, and not Brother Oral, but I am saying this. One of the reasons, and Richard has told me this, his son Richard Roberts has told me this personally, and he's also said this publicly. One of the reasons that people hated Oral Roberts so much is because he was bringing, he was the first trailblazer, first, Kenneth Hagin was, but on a smaller scale because he wasn't as known back in the 50s. He became more known later on in his life. But back in those days, Oral Roberts was the first man that was preaching God is good which was revolutionary. He was preaching, God wants to heal you every time, which was revolutionary because so many people, so many believers had this demonic guise, this religious spirit where they thought, well, God only heals sometimes. And if you're special and he was saying, God will heal you. God is good. He wants to prosper you. And, and he was teaching faith and how to sow seed, sow seed, financial seed, mixing your faith with it for a harvest. I mean, this was, this was This was cutting edge, revolutionary doctrine that people in the church world, especially in America, could not swallow. Everybody can swallow Billy Graham because he didn't even teach, he didn't even preach about the baptism of the Holy Ghost because he wasn't baptized in the Holy Ghost. What he preached was salvation and everybody agrees with salvation. Everybody loves the preacher that's talking about salvation and that was his assignment. We're not knocking. Thank God he fulfilled his assignment skillfully. Thank God for that. But I'm saying because that was his message that God gave him was salvation. There was not that much persecution because everybody is in agreement, especially in the church world, with salvation. But our Robert's assignment wasn't just salvation. Our Robert's assignment was to teach about God is good, God will heal you, and about faith, seed faith, and God wants to financially bless you. And because of those, those primary assignments on his life to teach that brand new revolutionary cutting-edge doctrine people hated him because why he was breaking new ground Billy Graham was not breaking new ground. He was preaching salvation, which has been preached for centuries. And again, thank God for him. We're not lessening that. But I'm saying God put an anointing, an assignment, Oral Roberts' life to break hard ground and to put the seed, the revelation of the seed of the word on these new doctrines into the soil of the hearts of the body of Christ. And many rejected it and many persecuted him and many hated him. And he was considered the most hated preacher in America for decades. And his son, Richard and and his siblings and his family, they bore a heavy, bore a heavy load. They bore the brunt of that hatred and in some ways still do. Why am I saying all of this? Because back then the idea that god wants to bless you that god is good was so revolutionary It was hard for people to swallow. Why should it be hard? I mean, this is not like we're not saying god wants to kill you They would be more willing to swallow that than they would god wants to bless you because of a demonic guise It's a religious spirit that blocks people from understanding what the bible's talking about And he had to went through he blazed a trail for us He blazed a trail for us as preachers today and as believers today, because back then it was unheard of what he was preaching. Now, 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 now you hear almost every denomination. They don't even have to be Pentecostal or or baptized in the Holy Ghost. You hear everybody saying, oh, isn't God so good? Oh, God is so good. Back in the 50s, that, that did not happen. It was almost heresy to say that. But why did it become common? Because somebody blazed the trail to say, God is good. God will bless you so in faith. God will bless you. God will heal you of all diseases every time. Every time he'll heal you. Nothing's impossible to God. Today's your day for a miracle. That was revolutionary, but somebody had to blaze the trail. Now, all these years later, 70 plus years later, all these years later, now... It's a common thing to say God is good. Where? Why? Because he started it. Now it's not that, uh, it's not that ludicrous to say God wants to heal you. You hear a lot of people say that now. Even denominations that didn't even believe it originally will st- are, are, are warming to the fact that, you know, God, God wants to heal you. They don't, not everybody is hot on the fact that God wants to heal everybody. There's, there's a lot of people still struggle with that. But, but the idea of healing is far more palatable today than it was in the 50s when he was saying God will heal all of you. The idea that God is good is far more palatable today than it was in the 50s when they saw God as just a mean judge. And the idea that you can sow and get a harvest? Oh my goodness. I mean, denominations all over the world teach that that aren't even spirit-filled. The idea that you could sow in faith and receive a harvest in the 50s was that was cutting edge. That was you were attacked for that kind of stuff. You were a leper in the in, in, nobody wanted to be around people like that. You were considered extreme. Now, across almost Christendom, it's a general accepted fact that God is good, that if you sow in faith, God wants to give you a harvest, and that God wants to heal. Now, there's still little little things on each of those doctrines that some people still struggle on, but in general, healing is far more accepted, prosperity is far more accepted, and the fact that God is good is far more accepted. Why? Because somebody blazed a trail. However, today, even though it is more accepted in general that God wants to prosper us. It's not considered heresy like it was back then. It is far more common to hear people say that, yes, if you sow, God will give you a harvest, that God wants to bless you. More revelation, more light has come from the scriptures over the decades from men like Oral Roberts. God bless him that blazed the trail. And of course, dozens and dozens of others after him and even during him, but mainly after him. But I want you to know that even though it is more, I'm saying all that to say this, even though it is a more commonly accepted fact and spiritual truth in the average church, not even word and faith, word of faith churches, word and spirit churches, I'm talking about denominational churches, even though it is far more commonly accepted today than it was 70 years ago, that God wants to bless you. It's far more accepted. It is still fought and it is still attacked in, in many. It's more accepted. It's not considered heresy anymore like it was then, but that does not mean that it is, it is still not accepted the way that God wants it to be accepted in the body of Christ. There are still many that fight it. There are still many that attack it. There are still many like that precious couple on the radio that are teaching opposite to it. It is still a withstood message, the fact that God wants to bless people. It is not considered heresy anymore like it was there because the body of Christ has warmed to it more over the decades. But it is still not, not even close to where it should be in terms of the strength and the full revelation of that going forth and the body of Christ as a whole receiving it and then actually living it. That is, that we are far, far away from the measure that God desires for this revelation to go out in general and be received and to be, that's why God said to Dr. DeFray, 97% of my people live beneath what i provided for them. And remember I said last Friday, we need to break out of the 97% prison and we need to walk and and jump and shout and rejoice and and be in the glorious 3% uh, freedom feel the freedom, praise God, because, because most people are still living beneath. But I, I want you to understand a history that it, it, was, it was so uncommon back then. Now it is far more accepted, but still revelation is not, not even close to where it should be in the hearts and minds of the average Christian out there about prosperity. There's still people preaching against it like I witnessed on the radio. Uh, there's still a lot of people preaching against it. In fact, churches like ours that embrace this message because we're not a, we're not a prosperity church. We're a Bible church. The the prosperity message is in the Bible. We're also a repentance church, because the repentance message is in the Bible. We're also a, a sexually pure church because that is taught in the Bible. We're also a tithing church, because that is taught in the Bible. We're a loving church, cause that is taught in the Bible. We're an evangelizing church and a praying church and a missionary church. We're an apostolic church. What we are, you find in the Bible. Yes, there's personalities and there's filters. And yes, you know, we're, there's natural stuff that goes into the ministry too. But what we're found, our foundational base is, is we're a Bible church. We're, we're a word and spirit church and so we're not just after the prosperity message and we're not either just after a holiness message and we're not either just after a gifts of the spirit message or just after a faith message we're after the whole counsel of God as it all works together each part intermingled and interlocking together and when you put the whole counsel of God together and then you live it your whole life becomes balanced and whole and vibrant and healthy and prosperous and that is what God wants but many, many, even though it's more accepted, many do not accept it today. Even though it's more acceptable, many individual Christians and churches still refuse and refute and reject it. And so I know that our church doesn't, but I want you to know, Promise of Life Congregation, that if you, and that's why I say, be careful to what you listen, because if you're not strong and you start listening to these people, you know, if you're not strong in what you believe, they'll start to talk you out of it. And then that spirit that is on them, that religious spirit that is on them will try to get on you. And remember, I preach real strong, real strong. My God, the anointing was so strong last Friday night. I preached real strong about, be careful who you listen to, because when you open the door, you say, oh, I'm tough. I'm strong, nothing can affect me, but you're a fool because if you open yourself up to listen to ministries that are not teaching correctly, that, that, that false doctrinal spirit, that lying spirit, that religious spirit that's on that minister, if you, if you willfully and willingly open yourself up to that teaching, that spirit will try to affect you and it will come very sly and subtle, you hardly even notice it. And if you do wake up out of your stupor one day and recognize it and you just try to fluff it off like it's nothing and use your authority, it won't obey you the same way because you open the door willingly yourself especially if you continue to watch and continue to open. Now, of course, you can speak to and it will obey you, but you have got to stop yielding to that type of teaching. That's why I keep saying to you, not that we're trying to be cultish or weird or manipulative, but just listen to ministers that, that we, that we refer to you, that we put our stamp of approval on because there's so much out there that is a little bit off here and a little bit off there and a little bit into ultra conspiracy here and a little bit into ultra grace and greasy grace, and you can do whatever you want. And there's no much, there's no such thing as sin anymore out there. There's so many little, little, little spinoffs and then they're, and they're, they're unsafe. And that's why I say in today's society more than ever, because we're in the end days and there's so much false doctrine out there, be careful that you just stay with stay with the ones that have fed us, that have taught us like Dad Hagen and Pastor Nancy and others. There's others, I'm not just saying those two. There's others that are good and strong, but be careful because you don't want other messages to start messing with the foundation that God has laid in your heart that I as your pastor have trained you in. Because I know there's a lot of people out there that don't agree with prosperity, but I know that you do agree with with it, but be careful you protect that revelation and that you build that revelation and you grow that revelation by more revelation from the word so it can't be stolen from you because many others out there would try to talk you out of it, would try to steal that revelation that's in your heart about God wanting to bless you. And, I, and I, I, I don't know, you say, Pastor, why are you saying all this? We know all this. We know all this. We know we got to be careful who we listen to. We know that we believe and not everybody else believes and we have to protect it. We know not to let people talk us out of it. I know, but I just feel strongly prompted by the Holy Ghost to remind you that even though it's more accepted today, unlike 50, 70 years ago. It is still attacked today. It is still misrepresented today. And we have to contend and we have to fight and to keep this precious revelation burning in our hearts. And not only that, we have to live this revelation. Praise God. Because God, I'm telling you, my brother and sister, he wants you blessed. It's not just about the money. It's about his nature. He wants you blessed. Blessed. So let me read you a few scriptures. Now, I said I wouldn't go till 9, but of course, you know better than that. You know better than to actually listen to me. Reverend Taylor sits there shaking his head and, and in total disagreement and disunity. Um, but, but I'm sure many of you are doing the same thing, right, Reverend Taylor? Praise God. Uh, but I just want to read you just a few, uh, a few scriptures here to. I know we said 1 Timothy 6, so we'll get there, but I just want to read some other scriptures to you just to show you. Okay, fine. You, you, you're bothering me. Let's start with 1 Timothy chapter 6 because it, it does set the stage. In and then we'll get to some other verses. But um, but anyway, we see here, and I'm not going to go through the whole long thing again in terms of re-preaching last Friday, but I want you to remember the context, the, the scripture down a little bit lower is what they were they were incorrectly standing on trying to teach that to want nice things in life is a, is a sin because it's discontentment and that you need to just be content with nothing. And then they use that other verse that, uh, that, that all you need is, is food and clothes and, and you didn't bring anything into the wood. You can't take anything out. Yes, that's in the Bible, but you've got to understand the context and the audience to whom it's written. And then they use that other verse against, and this couple didn't, but the people use the other verse that I'm about to read you against Brother Copeland, against prosperity preachers. We're not prosperity preachers. We're Bible preachers. Features, which includes the message of prosperity. But they'll use that verse because they say people that try to say that gain is spiritual, those people have nothing to do with. And they're saying, well, these people are saying that if you're spiritual, you'll prosper. And if you if you have faith, you'll prosper. And therefore, these are heretics. Kenneth Copeland's a heretic. Stay away from him. But they're not reading it in context. You've got to interpret scripture with scripture, and you've got to know the audience to whom the scripture is written. Otherwise, you will misinterpret what God is trying to say say. And so when I, the Lord said, you teach this to your people. And I said, well, Lord, I mean, it is kind of a damning, uh, uh, just be honest with you, just the way it's written. If you just take this verse at face value, these three verses, it kind of is a bit damning against, against prosperity, but I know that you're a God of prosperity. So help me, teach me how I, how I can teach this in the right way without it being skewed. And he said to me, go to verse one. And he said it's strong, just like he said, it's not just a lack of revelation. It's a devil. It's a demon spirit. He is, he's aggressive about the subject because he's I think God is, is just fed up with people that are misquoting the Bible and misquoting him and misunderstanding his heart. He wants you, he's like a daddy wants to give their child the best. God, your daddy wants to give you the best and a religious devil will try to talk you out of it and and don't you dare let that religious devil because your pastor isn't a religious devil and I won't ever talk you out of it. I'll talk you into it, praise God. Not because I'm after prosperity, but I'm after God and God is prosperity like he is help and he is love and he is peace and he is joy. He's love, that's what the Bible says, but everything about God is about joy and about, about wealth and about opulence and about glory and splendor. That's why heaven is paid with gold. That's why you have a mansion there. If he really wanted you broke, he wouldn't have made you a mansion there. He said, you'll have in this life a hundredfold return with persecution. Why? Because he knows if you're going to live this life and you're going to believe this Abrahamic blessing kind of thing, people are going to hate you for it. That's why the Bible says that we will have a hundredfold in this life. That means breathing oxygen before the rapture with persecution because people from then all the way till now, even though it's more accepted now, there is still a war against it from a demonic power working through religious ministers that are trying to attack this message. And I need you as my congregation to be so strong and grounded in the word that you know what you believe and nothing can shake you and you live it. Praise God. Not not, not enough just to know it. If you're always broke, you're not living it. You've got to know it. Then you've got to put it into practice. You've got to release your faith. You've got to live it. And you'll see the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow. Praise God. Now, let, let, look, 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 look at verse one now. First Timothy six, one, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. This word servants in the in the Greek word, literally it's the word doulos and it means slave. It's translated servant, but in the original Greek, it literally means slave. Those in In forced servitude, like think of a a slave plantation back in the 1800s before the Civil War, okay? Or think about apartheid and slavery in Africa and South uh, Africa. Back in that day, they had slaves like they had in the South before the Civil War. They had slaves. It was an accepted part of society. Many slaves had got born again. These are people that don't even own their own life, let alone any any kind of material wealth. They are working as forced servitude as slaves to an owner. That word owner is translated in English, master, but that's what it means, a slave owner. So if you understand the context of who this is written to, you will understand that God is speaking in chapter six to a bunch of slaves. Okay, keep that in mind so you understand how to interpret the Bible. And the first verse is saying that when you have masters that are not saved, they are still worthy of honor. Be honorable to them. Don't rebel against them. Otherwise, they'll know you're saved. And when you don't act right, the name of God and his doctrine will be blasphemed. They'll mock God and disregard God because you're not acting right. Verse 2 talks about masters that are born again, slave owners that are born again and they that doesn't mean that they sh- that doesn't mean that slavery's right but back then just like in the south in the 1800s revelation had not developed people didn't know that it wasn't right the same way that they do today but paul is not addressing whether slavery is right or wrong Paul is simply addressing slaves that are Christians because these slaves have to live under this yoke of bondage and, and he 's hearing from other ministers that some people are trying to rile the slaves up to mount up into an insurrection and to be rebellious and to even at times kill their owners and that is just going to cause a problem it 's going to re- reproach to God not that we 're justif- not that he 's justifying slavery at all he 's just simply talking to men that are in in bondage and he 's trying to encourage encourage, Encourage them. So keep that in context. And they that have believing masters, verse 2, let them not despise them because they are brethren. In other words, they are your brothers, even though they are your master, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. He's saying, teach all the slaves this. Be honorable. You're not going to get out of this lifestyle because you rise up and kill them, and you act in the flesh, and you act like the world. You're going to get out of this because of your faith. I'm getting there, but he's teaching them, you'll get out of this because of your faith, not because you you, you take up the sword, okay? Now, if any man teach otherwise, obviously other men were teaching otherwise, or he wouldn't have said it. And consent not to these wholesome words that he's teaching, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, these people that are trying to rile these slaves up and are not teaching this way, these people are proud, verse 4, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and, str- and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men. They're men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing these people that are riling them up. Okay, you understand the context? They are supposing, verse 5, that gain or material wealth is godliness. Is spirituality. From such withdraw yourself. Now, modern day. People that are perverting the word will use this verse against Brother Copeland, but it, or against me or against anybody else who's teaching the full gospel. But it's not what this verse is saying. What Paul is saying is there are men out there that are that are preaching against the wholesome words and the revelation and doctrine that I'm preaching. They are try, they are men that are perverse, that are that are destitute in their mind, that are completely deceived, and they're trying to stir and rile up slave populations for insurrection and to kill their masters. And and what they're trying to say to them is they're saying unless you're rich you're nothing that's what it says here supposing that gain is godliness from such withdrawal what they're saying is unless you're rich like your master unless you've got gain you can't be spiritual gain is godliness The only way that God's gonna love you and treat you right and have anything good for you in your future Is if you're like the master and if you've got all the money and you've got all the material wealth So you got to rise up and take it and if they won't give it kill them Do whatever you need to do kill your masters rise up and take their wealth because only when you're wealthy Are you a spiritual person? That is false doctrine That is not what God says you can be poor and a spiritual person and you can also be rich and be a spiritual person. These perverts, they're perverting the word of God who are saying, unless you're rich, you can't. God won't be pleased with you and you're not godly, you're not spiritual unless you're wealthy. So rise up and take the wealth. And what Paul is saying is that kind of talk is perverse. That kind of teaching is anti-God. That is not the way the slave gets out of their, their poverty. The way they get out is faith. They don't get out by, by having this deluded mindset that unless I'm rich, God doesn't love me and I'm not spiritual. So I better get rich at all costs. And I better kill if I, if I can't get it from other way negotiation, I better kill because all that matters in life is being rich. That is false doctrine. I'm not preaching that. Brother Copeland doesn't preach that. And Paul is not preaching that. If you don't understand the Bible, you got to read it in context. Okay, from such men that are, that, that, that are teaching this nonsense, withdraw yourself. Copeland is not teaching that. I'm not teaching that. But other men back in that day were teaching false doctrine about gain, about material increase, and that unless you're rich, you're nothing. You're not even a spiritual man unless you're wealthy. And that's not true. You can be a spiritual man and be poor. I've been poor for years. (laughs) I'm not anymore, but I've been poor for years. I was a spiritual man then. I'm a spiritual man now. Why? Because Paul said, I find myself in whatever case I find myself, whether I'm abased, I'm content, whether I'm abounding, I'm content. I, I, I am content. That doesn't mean I've accepted it as my lot in life, but that means I'm at peace in the season I find myself. There's joy in the season I find myself, but my faith is still reaching for more. That's the balanced doctrine. Not that you're nothing unless you're rich. We are content in whatever we find ourselves in, but we don't accept that as our lot in life. We're content and peaceful, but we are still striving and reaching out the hand of faith for a better life. Amen. So that's what he's saying here. But godliness with contentment, verse six, is great. Now you see the scripture in context with the other scriptures. What he's saying is they're saying, unless you're rich, you're nothing. Unless you're rich, you're not even a spiritual man. That's not true. Don't even talk to those people. Have nothing to do with them. I'm telling you, slaves, look at me. I'm telling you, if you're, if you have contentment, just, just be at peace with where you are right now and love God and be spiritual and be godly. Godliness with that contentment that peace that 's what 's going to get you that 's what 's going to give you gain that 's what that's that 's the answer to your where you 're at right now don 't be striving and don 't be anxious and don 't be wanting to kill your master and don 't be thinking that unless you 're wealthy you 're nothing in, in god 's eyes no you can be you can have nothing but you know what if you love God and you 're spiritual and you 're godly and you 're peaceful and content even in your abasement for now that is that is the great gain. That's what will fill your heart. That's what will bring you joy. And that's good doctrine because I've had times where I have not had much. And yet I have, I have loved God and been godly and I've been content not accepting it, but being peaceful in the midst of it and praising God for what I do have in the midst of it. And my heart is full. That's the great gain he's talking about. Now, he's simply continuing that thought in verse seven. We brought nothing into the world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. He's not saying that you should have nothing. Don't twist it. He's not saying that he's talking to slaves and he's saying. And by the way, remember, being spiritual and godly and being peaceful in the abasement that you find yourself in right now that is good. what's going to fill your heart and give you peace. That doesn't mean you have to stay there forever. I'm going to teach you how to get out in a minute. But let me just tell you, the way that, you, the way that your heart is full, the, the true great gain is to be peaceful and content in this situation you find yourself and love God and be spiritual and seek God. And by the way, really, when it comes down to it, you didn't bring anything out, you can't take any, you didn't bring anything, you can't take anything out. So really, all you need is, all you need, that doesn't mean that's all that God wants you to have, but all you need, slaves, is food and clothing. He's just bringing it down to the base. That's not a doctrine saying that you should only have food and clothing and nothing else. You see, that's how the devil wants to twist that. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's teaching the slaves that technically all you need is food and clothing. Okay, and you bought nothing in, you take nothing out. Verse 8, having food and raiment, let us therefore be content. He's not saying that that's all they should have. He's saying technically that's all you need. As, as long as you've got that, you can survive. And if you can survive and be at peace and seek God and be a spiritual man, your heart will be full and you'll have great gain. That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to bring them. uh, He's trying to let them see it in the right way. Praise God. And there's been times where God has said to me, I'll be honest with you. There's been times in the past where I've had nothing. I've had less than nothing. And the Lord said to me, son, all you need is food and clothing and shelter. All you need is the basics. That doesn't mean that's what I want you to have. I'm saying that's all you need right now. All you need is something so you don't starve to death. Uh, Clothes so that you've got you're not naked. He doesn't even say shelter here because you technically don't even need shelter. You could sleep out in the park if you need to. But all you need is food and clothes. I remember a time in Jenny's life where all she had was food and clothes. She was going to Bible school. She didn't even have a place to stay, but God told her to go. And she was literally kind of at the baseline. She only had food, enough money to buy food. And she had clothes on her back and a little suitcase. And she went to sleep on the park bench because God said, I'm going to send somebody to give you a place to live. It was a, it was a real journey of faith. At that moment, what, see, Jenny, is living this verse 7 and 8. She has she is come to the world with nothing and at that point she's got nothing. She's got food and clothes. That doesn't mean that's all God wants her to have. But at that moment she takes solace in the fact if all I've got is food and clothes, but I know God. I'm spiritual, I'm godly. And I'm content, I'm at peace. I'm not in disarray in my mind tormented. I'm content and peaceful. That doesn't mean I've accepted it forever, but I'm peaceful and content in this lack and I'm seeking God And even though I need to have food and clothes and I've got that, praise God, but I'm seeking God and I'm at peace. I'm telling you, I won't be here for long. That's what God is trying to say through Paul to these slaves. That's sound doctrine, what I'm preaching, because a lot of the people take this out of context. Then he gives them a warning. He's showing the opposite. He's saying, now you guys don't have much, but it's okay. Don't worry. Just relax a little bit. You know, all you need is food and clothes. You need to seek God. You need to be at peace. Everything else will come in time. And then he's saying, and by the way, it's a by the way afterthought is verse nine. It's an afterthought. And by the way, all these rich people, you know, they've got more to deal with than you do, because right now you're not tempted and distracted. You can just focus on God. But the more rich you get, that doesn't mean you shouldn't get rich. It's just he's just giving them the other side. The, the, The more you get, the more temptation there is and the more distraction there is. Not that you shouldn't have it, but count your blessings even when you don't have it, because it's Less that you need to focus on. You can, you're more simple in your life right now. You can focus on God. That doesn't, don't take it religiously that that's where God wants you to stay. He's just encouraging men in their station that they find themselves in in life at that moment. And so he says in verse nine, but they that are rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. He didn't say that it's wrong to be rich. He's saying that there are minefields around being rich. You can still avoid the minefields, but it takes more effort. Whereas poor people don't have those distractions and those temptations for the love of money. He didn't say money. He said the love of money the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covered it after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And oh, I've met many people, have people in my family, and I bet you do too, that all they wanted was money. They were money-minded, they were greedy, and they were covetous. All they thought about was money, and they have gone after that with all their heart instead of going after God, because he'll make you rich. But they went after the money and left God alone, and they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And what does the Bible say? That God wants us to be wealthy the bible says in proverbs that uh, that he that he gives us i think it's proverbs 10:22 if i'm remembering correctly or 4:22 i think it's 10:22 where it says that he will make you rich without adding sorrow with it god doesn't want you to have the wealth with sorrow here we see they have pierced they went after the wealth but not god and they pierced themselves through with sorrows they got rich but there's sorrow he said i want to make you rich without sorrow because when you seek god he'll bless you but there's no sorrow didn't say money was evil. It said the root of money. He didn't say that being rich was evil. He said coveted. Do you see that word? Coveted after. That is the word covetous in Greek. Remember what Jesus said to Dad Hagen? I don't mind my people being rich. I have a problem with them being covetous. What is covetous? Covetous is money minded. Covetous is greedy. Covetous is worshiping money and going after money ahead of God. That's the problem when money has you. But God doesn't have a problem when God has you and you just have the money. He doesn't want the money to have you. He wants you to have it. Then then there's no problem. So you see here, he didn't say that rich was wrong. He just said that there's more temptation. He didn't say that money was wrong. He said the love of money is wrong. He didn't say that being rich is wrong. He said covetousness is wrong because they've pierced themselves with sorrow. But we know in the Bible, the same God of the Old Testament is the God of the new. And he said, I desire to make you, I want to make you rich and add no sorrow with it. Praise God. Then he goes on. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, faith, love, patience, meekness. And he goes on, goes on, goes on. Now have a look. I read this all to you last week, but go down to verse 17. Now you see, now now he's going to bring it around. Now he's still talking to the slave audience, but now he's going to bring it around and he's going to start talking about how they can get out of this stuff. Charge them that are rich in this world. That they be not high minded. Didn't say that they were sinning. Didn't say that God was against it. Just said, don't let them be proud. Oh, uh, I, I have seen so many times rich people. Oh, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this rich people come in the church and they want me to know that they're rich. And they come up and they tell me, and what they're doing is they're dropping a hint. What they're saying is, if you give me a position on your board, if you make me a deacon, if you give me some level of influence, you know what? I'll stay and I'll give you, I'll just, I'll keep feeding you with my money because they're trying to control me. This happened many times at Promise of Life in the years. And you know, I look at them, I I make an intentional effort to not, I almost keep them more at bay than I would if I hadn't known that they were rich. In other words, when I know it's so distasteful to me and it's so distasteful to God that people would try to have arrogance and pride because of their money and then try to control you because of their money, because nobody will control this church, this anointing, this call, this vision, or me, but God. I don't care how rich they are. And we've had rich people come and we've had rich people go. And I, and I wave, not at them physically, but in my heart, I wave and I say, take your money somewhere else. You're not going to control me. Praise God. See, there's a, there's a tendency when you have money to be proud and arrogant. The, 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 the English word translated here is the word high-minded. And in the Greek, it's a long Greek word. I don't know how to, I, I won't try to pronounce the whole thing, but it literally, the literal meaning is arrogance. So he doesn't say riches is wrong. He said, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not arrogant proud, high-minded. Don't also put their faith or trust in uncertain riches because it comes and goes. Watch now. But in the living God, put your faith in God. Put your faith in God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And that word enjoy, in case you think it means something else and it mistranslated, it is the Greek word apollosis, and it means to have full enjoyment. It's exactly, enjoy is not some other weird meaning. It means what it says. It means to have full enjoyment. What he is saying is, tell the people that are rich don't to put their trust, their faith in the riches, but rather in God who gives us richly, God gives us, not you seeking after it, God gives us richly or makes us rich. All things, didn't say just what you need, all things for your enjoyment so this is not just needs now see this is the answer to the slaves you don't get out of this by rising up and killing your masters the way you get out of this is have peace and contentment in the state that you find yourself be spiritual and godly and seek god remember you really don't need anything else but food and raiment but that doesn't mean that god doesn't want you to have more but right now where you're at the base bottom line in life just be peaceful and be content and seek god and then now Have faith in the living God that he will over time do miracles for you to cause you to receive richly all things for you to enjoy. So obviously God does not have a problem with the slave getting out of slavery and being rich and having all things to enjoy because he said it. And God doesn't have a problem with us who are not slaves. We're just regular people. He has no problem with us getting out of whatever lack we have and having richly all things to enjoy. I love the way that God said that because it just blows out of the water all that false doctrine. And it's in the same chapter as what all these religious anti-prosperity people Use if they just read the first verse and knew who the audience was, and read the 17th verse to see how to get out of your poverty, they would have no leg to stand on. But they want to take one or two scriptures out of context and then attack men of God that are trying to preach help to the body of Christ, like Brother Copeland. He's not after your money, he's trying to give you principles of the Bible so that your life can be richly with all things to enjoy. Praise God. I love the way he says that. He didn't just say, trust in the living God that he'll give you all things to enjoy. He said richly all things. He didn't just say base stuff or middle or mediocre. He said richly, richly. It is God's desire like Abraham for you to be rich, not because you're after riches, but because you're after God. And part of his overflow from your seeking him is he gives you richly. And he didn't just say some things. He said all things. And he didn't just say that you have need of. He said that you want to, that your desires, that you want to enjoy. This blows out that false prosperity gospel, the, the, the attack on the prosperity gospel. It blows them out of the water. God wants me not just mediocrely, but richly, not just some things, but to have all things, not just what I need, but what I enjoy. And enjoy, something enjoyed is something desired, not something needed. You need rice, Like the African pastors, they need some basics so that they don't starve. But that doesn't mean you always enjoy only rice. There are many other dishes that you don't technically need, but you enjoy. You don't need a car, you can walk. But God wants you to have more than what you need. He wants you to have the desire of your heart. He wants you to enjoy something. So you get an old beater like me, oh my God. Oh, my God. Pontiac 6000 LE. The way the six, look, the way the six, the way their, their, their thing, the way they did the six, it almost looked like a G. And it was six, zero, zero, zero. And then L, and then there was no space between the zero and the L. It was right beside each other. And so I called it the Ghoulie. It's the 6000 6000 LE, but it looked like the word ghouli. And so people would say, Craig, you got the ghouli? I'd say, I got the ghouli, let's go. It was blue, it was rotten to the gums, and I bought it from a Christian man in the church who had a mechanic shop for I think it was $1,500. That thing burned oil as much as it burned gas. I'm telling you, but it got me from A to B, and it was better than the TTC. My God, that rhymes. It got me, Reverend Taylor, from A to B and was better than the TTC. And I liked my Pontiac Ghoulie 6000 LE. I liked that and I drove it all over the place. You see, I didn't need it. I could have taken the bus but I was in, I wanted, God wanted to give me the desire of my heart, which was a vehicle. And even though I was on the bottom rung of the vehicle, uh, it was still something I could enjoy at that season. And then after that, I remember I said, I like this Pontiac stuff. So I'm going to get, and I used my faith and I saved money and saved money. And I got myself a Pontiac Sunfire. Oh, I remember that Pontiac Sunfire. That Pontiac Sunfire was bright. It was like a light colored blue, no green. It was a light. The first one was dark blue. The second, the ghoulie, was blue, but, the, but that Pontiac Sunfire was was like a bright green. I, <laughs> I'll never forget it. I love that. And I got all the bells and whistles. I paid extra for all the bells and whistles. Did I need it? No. But God was increasing me from the ghoulie to the Sunfire. And God was happy because he gives us richly all things for our in. Enjoyment, and then I went from there to the next one, and I went from there to the next one, and I went from there to the next one. Oh, I should tell you how many cars I've had. My God, I can tell you how many motorcycles I had. The little baby motorcycle to begin with, and people said that's a girl's bike. Even the guy that sold me the motorcycle said, "Sir, most girls buy this bike. Why don't you get the bigger bike?" And I said, "Well, I'm a new motorcycle rider. I don't think I can handle more than a 650 cc. I know it, it doesn't look exactly the full muscular man thing, but you know it can go on road and off road. And I don't, I don't care what people." think that, that, that's what I have peace in my heart to buy. And I got the first one and then I got another one and then I got a third one. Now I'm on my fourth one. Praise God. You see over time as you're faithful and as you release your faith, he'll start with your low, but he'll just keep upgrading you and upgrading you and upgrading you and upgrading, you. And upgrading what? Is it because you need it? No, you don't need it. All you need is the bus. All you need is legs, but he wants to give you richly all things to enjoy. The ghoulie at that season of my life was richly because other than that, it was TTC. The Sunfire, at that point in my life, was Richly, because if it wasn't that, it was the Ghoulie. (laughs) And then the next, the motorcycle was the entry level, That many ladies (laughs) would ride. I mean, guys rode them too. On the commercial, you know, on the magazine, the 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 thing that the little thing they give you with all the pictures to show you all the bikes. A man was driving it, and so I said, "Listen, this is a man bike." The man he goes, "Yeah, the man might be driving it in there, but only girls buy that bike. Why don't you get a big 1200, 1300?" I said, "I can't afford it, sir." And I said, "I'm a new rider. That thing will eat me up. I'll probably get tickets every time I go out. I'll go so fast the cops will pull me over." So you see, see, I had to just start. But for me, it was no motorcycle to a motorcycle that is still considered richly. But then after I got comfortable with that level, my faith reached out and that wasn't any, that wasn't richly anymore. Now the next level was richly. And then after I got comfortable with that level, I reached out a little bit more. And now that wasn't richly. That was just mediocre. Now my faith is reaching out to take more from God. And then the next level is richly. And it's been the same with my vehicles and it's been the same with our homes. Oh, we had this tiny 1100 square foot home in Georgetown, but we we had an apartment before. So compared to the apartment, that's richly. And then we had this little house there they're on Sandway Drive in Brampton, but compared to the 1,100 square foot house, a 2,200 square foot house was richly. And then we moved up to a 2,500 square foot house in Misty Brook in Brampton, just a couple of streets down. And compared to the first one, compared to the last one, that new one was Richley. And then God's blessed us with a nice, beautiful home, a bungalow home in Erin, that is double the size of our home in Brampton, where our boys can spread out, praise God. And we have a big backyard compared to the Brampton house, that was richly. You see, God, I keep reaching out. I keep saying, Father, you give me all things. You give me richly all things to enjoy. Whatsoever things you desire, didn't say need. Mark 11, 24, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, didn't say need. It's a desire. Believe that you've received them, you shall have them. So you see, these people that say, you've got to get over, it. it's sinful to want nice things. That's false doctrine. They're taking a scripture out of context. When God laid down in that chapter, tra- they just keep, they just keep reading the chapter, brother, just keep reading the chapter and God will sort out your doctrine for you. Because if you just kept reading, you'd say, "Oh, God wants to give me richly all things to enjoy." That obviously means more than just need. That obviously means it's not sin to want some nice things because my heart is not with the nice things. My heart is with God. The nice things don't have me. I have them. God has me. You see the difference. I know I'm preaching this. It's 903. I got to quit. Reverend Taylor is giving me large swaths across his neck. That just costs you a week's pay, my brother. My God, let's try it again, see what happens next. No, I'm just just kidding. He he wants me to keep going. I know some of you do as well. Some of you text me right after I preach and say, Pastor, you shouldn't have quit. I was enjoying it. Keep going. I'm sure many of you are not feeling that, and you could have texted me, Shut up, old preacher. Shut up and get the old bearded one. Sit down and be quiet. We want to watch NIC or SIC or whatever these movies are called. I don't know. Please, I I don't know what I'm saying here. I want to watch my Netflix. You know, ideally, I don't praise God she's delivered from Netflix. But anyway, I, 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 could, I, could, um, I could keep going, but I won't. But, but I, I haven't finished it, so I'll just kind of pick it up next time. But I, I took my time tonight because I'm trying to impart to you, I'm trying to help you to understand that, that, that this is revolutionary. This was revolutionary 70 years ago, unheard of. It's far more accepted today, but still attacked. Be careful who you listen to. Don't let them un, unhinge your connection with faith and with the revelation from the word that has been poured into you as foundation in our church. God wants you blessed. Praise God, he wants the slave out of slavery and if they would listen to this, they would have got all things richly to enjoy. Remember, you can't get every doctrine in the Bible in one chapter. That's why there's many books. Many authors and many chapters, because you take it all together. Now, the slaves, Reverend Taylor, listening to Paul teach this to, well, Timothy through Paul teach this to them, they're only hearing one aspect of it, but they need that aspect. Be submissive, be content. Remember, contentment, the Greek word for contentment does not mean acceptance. It literally means to build up a barrier in front of you to protect you from the wind or from the forces outside. In other words, it means to hunker down and be in a safe place, and be peaceful. That's the original Greek picture for the word contentment. It is not an acceptance forever, and that's what false doctrine will try to say. Just be content, accept it for the rest of your life. No, that's not what the Greek word means. The Greek word means that you hunker down in a safe, protected place where you have peace. So when I'm content and in a base season, I'm at peace I'm hunkered down, I'm spiritual, I'm godly, I love God, and that's the great gain. I may not have much, but you know what? I've got food and clothes, and that's really all I need, but I've got faith, I've got God, and I'm at peace. I've got faith, I've got God, and I've got peace. I've got faith, I've got God, and I've got peace. And no matter where I find myself, what gutter or ditch, if I've got peace, and I've got faith, and I know God, God will take me out. And that's what Paul is trying to say, praise God. And all the way down, he says, I want you to have richly all things. But those slaves are only hearing one aspect because it's only one book, one chapter, one messenger Paul via Timothy. But what if what if the slave also got the rest of the full gospel, the rest of the full counsel? And what if another slave had, "Hey, did you know there's a guy named Mark that walked with Jesus and Mark wrote one of the gospels?" You know what I read in Mark 11:24? It's like what Timothy taught us that Paul taught him in 1st Timothy 6:17. It says that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now we're slaves, we don't enjoy much, but faith in the living God will give us richly all things to enjoy. So faith can give us the good life. But you know what else I read this Mark guy? He said that, that whatsoever things you desire, didn't you say need? We, we need food and clothing. But he said, whatever you desire, believe you receive and you shall have. My God. And then the, another slave walks up and goes, hey guys, yeah, I heard about that Mark guy. And we know what Pastor Timothy taught us. Through through the Apostle Paul, but but you know what you know what I, somebody gave me a parchment and I read a little bit of what Paul, the same guy that wrote through Pastor Timothy, the same Paul wrote to the Ephesus Church over there in Turkey. And, and, and you know what I read there in in chapter two, verse ten, it says that God has has created paths for us to walk in, and that they are the paths for us to have a good life, which He preordained. My God, God has a good life for me to walk in. And then and then Pastor Timothy said that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. My God, and then Brother Mark, Apostle Mark, said that whatever things I desire, oh my God. And then, and then the last slave comes up, I can just picture it. The last slave comes up and says, hey guys, I got one that will top all of that. I'm so grateful. Let me see that parchment about the Ephesus church. I never read that before. You know, because because we just Pastor Timothy, he's our pastor, so we really only have the letter that Paul wrote to our church here. But but you know, there's this Ephesus thing, and and there's and there's others, and and there's Mark, and another save comes and says, hey, you know what? There, there, there's something I, I found something so glorious. You know, it wasn't the apostle Paul, but you know, there was another apostle, the one that Jesus loved very closely, the one that's called the beloved apostle his name's John. Have you guys heard about Oh yeah, we've heard of Apostle John. Yeah, we've heard of him. They hate him. They tried to boil him and all, but they can't. They put him on the island now. Yeah, we got a letter from him. It's the third letter that he wrote. And it's the book of 3 John. And it's only one little chapter, but in verse 2, the Bible its part of, I believe it's going to be that then there wasn't a Bible. These were just letters. But this is God's Word through the Apostle Paul to us, through the Apostle John that in this case says, you know what it says? He says, beloved, beloved, I wish above, I wish above all, above all things, above everything that you prosper and that you're in health as your soul prospers, and then one of the say says, yeah, but I think that prosper word probably just means that we would prosper spiritually by becoming born again because we were lost dead spiritually, but now we're born again. So technically we probably, oh no, no, because I I asked my master and my master told me the original word there, the word prosper means to prosper in business affairs and material wealth. It's not talking about spiritual prosperity, the original language that the apostle John wrote that verse, it means business affairs and material wealth, so God wishes above all things for us to be healthy and for us to be prosperous. Hey, that goes in line with what you're saying, that what Pastor Timothy said, he gives us richly all things to enjoy. And hey, that goes along with what you said, because the, the, the apostle Paul to the, the church at Ephesus said that, that we can have the good life and walk in paths that God foreordained for us to walk in. And then that on the, brother Mark said, whatever you desire. I can just picture the four of them talking and going, you know what? We need to do what Paul said to Pastor Timothy. We need to be honorable to our masters and not rise up in insurrection. And we need to just hunker down and be at peace. That's contentment. And seek God. That's godliness. And and then our hearts will be full because we have faith in the living God because he gives us richly, he's going to give us richly all things to enjoy. Guys, I don't know how we're going to get out of this slavery, but we're going we're to do it together. We're going to agree in faith. We're going we're to treat this master right. We're going to treat God right. We're going to treat our pastor right. We're going to be faithful, and God is going to do a miracle for us. I don't care if an angel has to appear to that, that master in his bedroom and say, turn those boys loose. You turn those boys loose. I don't care. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'm telling you, he's going to give me richly all things to enjoy. You see, my brother and sister, you can't get all the revelation from one chapter. But you can take it from the co-counsel of God, and I just quoted you four, there are dozens of verses that verify that God wants us to have the desires of our heart, not so that we would be covetous, money-minded or greedy, that would love money, but that would love him and out of the overflow of His love back to us is his goodness and his blessing and his prosperity so that we'd enjoy things. Praise God. Hallelujah. I trust tonight's message helped you and blessed you praise God. I can only quit. I know I always say, because when I start, can I be honest with you? When I start, the anointing is not at full capacity. So when I start, I'm feeling a very small measure of it, usually. And, and and then I just feel like, ah, you know, the anointing, I don't really feel much of it. It will be there, praise God. But I'll just do it maybe 20 minutes. and then I, But then as I get going, I feel that anointing grow and, grow and grow and grow and grow. And I hear the Holy Ghost speaking to me and giving me inspired utterance as I'm talking. And then I really can't quit until that lifts off, because until it lifts off, God's not done. And God don't care that much about your schedule or mine. What he cares about is that the message is delivered skillfully. And so when I feel that anointing lift off, then I know. And and just 30 seconds ago, I felt that lift off me. That's my cue from God himself. Son, you delivered your assignment tonight. You delivered your message that I gave you. It's time to quit. Praise God. I could keep going for another hour and a half, but the anointing wouldn't be there the same because I felt that lift off me. When that's my cue, I I may say earlier, I'm going to be short because I don't sense the anointing that strong at that moment. But when I sense it strong, I keep going till it lifts. I'm just teaching you so that you understand how the things of the spirit work. That's how we don't grieve the Holy Ghost. If I were to try to quit before that lifts, I'd grieve him. And if I keep going after it lifts, I grieve him. So we gotta learn how to flow with the Holy Ghost. Praise God, Heavenly Father, bless these precious congregation members that have watched tonight. Part four of the anointing to prosper. Lord, I guess there'll be a part five because I didn't get through everything in my notes. So I'll do one more and we'll we'll get this final part out. But Lord, this is such an important subject. This is, it's important that they meditate on your word and see your word for face value under the revelation of not some demonic power that's religious, but by the revelation of the Holy Spirit of God. That's the revelation we want, Father, in your word, not some demon influencing us to see it and interpret it wrong. From a religious perspective. Lord, I bless them. I thank you for them. Have them help them. Have a great night and weekend. And we'll see them again on Sunday morning. In Jesus' name, be blessed.